there's no better feeling than a personal win. And the State Farm Personal Price Plan can help you do just that. Talk to a State Farm agent today to learn how you can bundle and save with the personal price plan. Like a good neighbor, State Farm is there. Prices are based on rating plans that vary by state. Coverage options are selected by the customer. Availability, amount of discounts and savings, and eligibility vary by state. So many people see Barcelona as the gold standard of world football in terms of getting there as a player that they don't want to leave. Do you think you can get 90 million for Pedri? Probably. With serious add-ons, perhaps. You have to be so many different faces to so many different aspects. Real Madrid and Barcelona are like two reality TV shows where the main stars are the presidents of the club. If when um, Mbappe goes to Real Madrid, most people are probably thinking he'll play as a striker. However, there is a big question mark over his position because of another key arrival, and that person is Endrick. Barcelona versus Real Madrid has always been one of the pinnacle football matches in world football, but long gone are the days of routine Champions League wins, Galacticos and serial Ballon d'Ors. But that possibly makes it more interesting. Both clubs are at a crossroads right now as they both are about to embark on a journey that could lift them back up to the heights once seen or potentially set them back a couple of years whilst Premier League teams run rampant. Both clubs right now are striving to become European top dogs once again. And in this podcast, we're going to look at exactly what's going on at both clubs and why the next few months will be very, very important. So, Henry and Daniel, join me. Uh, again, we had a, it was a bit of a therapy session. Um, oh, yeah. Sort of, I don't know, personal identity crisis, maybe. I don't know. There's a lot of things going on in the first podcast. Go check it out. We answer the question, are Premier League fans spoiled? And actually, at the end of the podcast, we do actually put forward an answer, sort of. Um, but this one's about Barcelona and Real Madrid, of course. And we thought it'd be perfect with Henry coming on to talk about these two clubs. So much talk about Mbappe. You've got breaking news being sent to you just before we started recording there. And uh, Mbappe, I can't believe it, guys. You've heard it here first. <laughs> I think he's on the move, guys. I think he's on the move. No. Um, but it's, yeah, it's been, it's been a weird, weird three, four years, um, more so for Barcelona than for for Real Madrid. Um, how are you feeling about La Liga, first and foremost? Because obviously those two are the sort of biggest representatives of it. But La Liga itself has been on a bit of a journey over yeah. the last five years or so we have to remember that financially they are constrained in a very unique way they have their own kind of financial fair play which really limits the ability of certain teams to do certain things it is sad when you see Villarreal hit the heights they didn't have to sell their players and kind of plummet how do you feel about that That, 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 so to give a bit more context for people they sort of do it the other way around where they go you sort of put forward your accounts and you go they then come back to you and go you've got this amount that you're Mm -hmm. allowed to spend on wages or whatever it might be and that was a big reason why Lionel Messi had to go I mean the disparity between what Real Madrid can spend and everyone else is hundreds and hundreds of millions it is staggering like the difference between the two I don't have there is the element of, I, I don't sympathise with La Liga too much because they did have the two greatest players sort of in the world for a long period of time and they've st- still managed to drop off a little bit. But at the same time this season, we saw four Spanish clubs get out of their Champions League groups. We didn't see that in um, in England at yep, all. And we saw Villarreal, for all of their struggles domestically, they managed to get out of the top of their Europa League group as well. So they're still going strong in Europe as we've kind of come to expect of that team and I know people are looking at Girona who are second and going oh god how's this happened but actually it's sort of like the perfect storm that has got them to this point of recruitment a well-run club 
and they've sort of picked up a few stars. Savio, this kind of guy that's coming to Man City, yep. like, kind of tells you the calibre of him. Dovbik, who's come in um, after scoring a ton in the Ukrainian league last year. He's been a real revelation up front. So they're just in a good moment. And every now and then a good team can rise up like that. But if you look at the rest of the table, it's still it's same reading. Barcelona, Atletico Madrid in fourth. I was expecting a bit more from them mm. this season. But then you've got Athletic Club, uh, Betis. It's all sort of the regular players. So it's not in this kind of crazy difficult situation I just think La Liga's had a bit of an identity crisis over the last few years and it's had to readjust the way that it operates and how the teams operate in terms of their recruitment in terms of sort of expectation but I still think it's doing fine and Real Madrid are still a juggernaut at the very very top yeah and and with La Liga and again you know we've just done a whole podcast in terms of, sort of the gaps between the different groups of teams mid-table teams big six or whatever you want to call it um, and the championship and things like that with La Liga with this strategy of you know, people have got to kind of spend between uh, within their means and things like that. The reason they've enforced that to this degree, to a point, is probably because Real Madrid and Barcelona were getting so much money from mm-hmm. the TV rights that they'd gone so far into the um, atmosphere that the the competition was maybe struggling in in that in that way, and you you saw teams struggling for sponsorship and things like that. Has the rest has? Do you feel like the competition has sort of squeezed a little bit, even even between the uh, the other teams within the league, as opposed to Real Madrid and Barcelona? Like the competitiveness of the league itself is that as good as it was, you know, ten years ago, or has it always been bad? Or how would you describe that to people? No, I think that still. It is still quite competitive at the top. I think we've seen clubs like Real Sociedad manage to break into the Madrid drew the weekend in Madrid. Madrid drew. I mean, Almeria, who are on for an absolutely stinking campaign this year at the bottom. Last year they were pretty exciting. Last year they came up and spent a bit of money and had a, had a had a go at La Liga. I mean, Sevilla they're now being swallowed up and sort of. It's not like the Bundesliga where no one appar- appears to be safe other than Bayern Munich or Borussia Dortmund. But there it, there are still teams that are capable of pushing their way up. And what they're really good at is clubs like Osasuna Athletic Club, who really do sort of dig into their local areas and mine players, as it were, you know, literally what their academies are called, like the Cantera, the mines and whatnot kind of thing. They really do kind of manage to make the best out of their local talent. So it's just a different kind of league. But I still think, yes, I think it's lost the kind of um, Revista de la Liga shine, as it were, the peak of peak of Sky Sports, La Liga. Um, but, that, but at the same time, yeah, at the lower end, it's got a bit worse, yeah. I would suggest. But I still think at the top end, there are a lot of exciting teams and a lot of exciting managers and ideas going on. Um, Daniel, how do you feel about the sort of financial um, systems at play here? Because I think when it does feel like there's there's just... And again, maybe I'm... I think I'm right in saying this. It's everything I read, I'm always sort of wary of doing it. But And actually, you probably you would probably feel this more than anyone else. Do you agree, Henry, with this idea that the Premier League is just ginormous in comparison to these other leagues or uh, are you not having that feel free um, to say that you're not having that well financially it is ginormous and it is as i was saying with Villarreal, other teams are able to come in and cherry pick their best players um villa coming in for power torres whatnot like there is that issue that they face in that, that like the, the drain of talents but i still think fundamentals as as clubs a lot of these big teams can hold themselves up high against Premier League sides. It's not like Brentford are going to just suddenly be a bigger bigger outfit than Real, Real Betis. But that's maybe like the romantic side of me thinking because there's still a lot of romance with European football and whatnot. But yeah, I, I, I think as a product, obviously the Premier League is bigger. But I still think that 
entertainment-wise, relatively speaking, you can still find the joy and the pleasure in in the kind of clubs in Spain if you watch it week in, week out. The problem is that most people just don't watch La Liga week in, week out because it's not as accessible as it used to be. It's now, I, I don't think, it's occasionally on ITV, isn't it? So people... Yeah, exactly. Mm-hmm. People have like lost lost what it really meant to be excited by Spanish football, and that is a shame in in certain aspects. Uh, opening thoughts, Daniel, on on sort of Barcelona, La Liga, Real Madrid, sort of those two. I mean, for me, I, I actually don't really subscribe to the view that La Liga is at all losing its shine. I I look at Athletic Bilbao; they are a club. Athletic Bilbao. I know they get frustrated when people call them that. Athletic club. I, I often talk about them on my podcast because I think it is absolutely incredible that mm. they have a Basconi selection policy and they've never been relegated. It's one of the most mind-boggling statistics that you can ever have. You've got Osasuna, another club that are extremely well-grounded within their local community. And yes, you do have these two absolute behemoths at the top. But, I mean, we're recording this on Tuesday. I saw that over the weekend, Atletico Madrid won 5-0 and had 35% possession at home. You know, that in itself, and Diego Simeone's whole thing, I find that intoxicating. So there are still these these big narratives that sort of drift around in the Liga, aside from the Real Madrid and the Barcelonas, that I find intoxicating as a neutral. It may not have, you said, the revista de la Liga aspect, but it depends how in tune you want to be with it. You can find yourself intoxicated by the whole league, and I certainly still am. And in terms of someone who covers European football and sort of goes around the different leagues, um, you can sort of zoom into this in, in different ways, whereas there's like just this season and then there's you can zoom out a little bit more and we'll kind of get to the sort of Super uh, League element of it. Um, in terms of Real Madrid, Girona and Barcelona, so Barcelona... If they were on the same points that they'd had last year, they would be on 65 points at this stage. Currently, at the time of recording, uh, they're on 54. Real Madrid are on 62 points. So sort of the point of this podcast is to sort of have a look at the squads and see where they're at, because these are the two, mm-hmm. right? And if we kind of zoom out from La Liga, these two teams are the guys at the forefront of pushing a Super League. So I'm intrigued to know how you feel about kind of their competition between the two of them together and then their competition within the whole league. Because when it comes to those two, if, if they don't have a competition, Real Madrid and Barcelona, does that, does that weaken the league or sorry, does that make uh, the idea of a super league more appetizing for Real Madrid or less so because they're being dominant in the league that they, they have. I'm, I'm surprised for I actually think when when the latest Super League 2 came out, I think Perez, if you look at the comments that he made after, it was a lot about just, look, no longer can UEFA shackle the clubs of Europe. We're now now breaking free of the monopoly, which is the biggest irony ever of creating the Super League. Um, It wasn't so much about actually the competition (laughs) happening. It was just him going, oh, look, we've beaten UEFA in, in, in the court and there is a platform for this uh, fictitious competition to to come to light, which I think shows that what, the biggest irony again is that like Champions League is Real Madrid. That's their competition, and they're not, they are, in my opinion, Real Madrid are about to enter a, a five year period of dominance, which uh, may be unprecedented even by like Real Madrid standards in um, modern times in, in in modern football. Because yes, Barcelona dropping off it is going to make. Um, make it a bit tricky but let's not forget like Atletico have been knocking at the door for a long time now two league titles in the last few years big city rivalry and Barcelona are champions aren't they and Barcelona are champions just last year with a pretty remarkable defence and whatnot. So, yeah so let's talk about that defence let's talk about Barcelona 
Because Barcelona went from having the best defence in La Liga last season, conceding only 20 goals all year. Actually, it was 17 goals. What's amazing here, the XG against them was 33.6. Yeah, no, it's nuts. So anyone who doesn't kind of totally understand XG, I think you always take XG with an element... Well, you provide the context around the XG, in my experience. And it's either one where you're kind of... It can highlight an element of fortune at times or a level of quality, however you want to spin it. I would suggest that if you're only conceding 17 goals from an XG of 33.6, you've got a bit of luck there (laughs) along the way. Um, But this season conceded five goals against Villarreal last month, three goals against Granada last week. Um, So Girona being in second spot at the moment, does that sort of paper over the cracks of the distance between um, Real Madrid and the rest? Or are Barcelona just... Are they being the other side of it and being a little bit unlucky this year? How do you feel about it, Dan? I mean, for me, I look at the title they won last year. Not that I'm necessarily embedded in Spanish football from week to week, but they have to be up there as as one of the two biggest clubs in the country year after year. You've got Xavi at the club. I know there was a lot of to and fro behind the scenes as to whether or not he was the right man to actually take over. I'm, I'm sure we'll get onto that in more detail soon. But... The short-termism that we discussed in the first podcast, it's a byword for both of those football clubs by definition because they have this huge rival and if they are doing less than them in week-to-week basis, there is going to be a huge amount of media pressure. I mean, if you go to either one of those cities, it is suffocating. Whenever you are around it in terms of the media coverage, the wall-to-wall nature of it, and that in itself creates this sort of powder keg situation Similar in many ways to when you go to a one-club city in this country, that goldfish bowl existence, it can have a detrimental effect on anyone in one single season. But I don't really feel as though either club... I know Real Madrid have gone down the the long-term project with the number of young players they've signed, and and that is fantastic in itself. But in terms of the year-on-year thing, if you aren't successful right now, there is always going to be this huge weight that you feel. And Javi deciding months in advance that he is going to leave the club, even though he is one of their favourite sons and he has come through and is part of the furniture, it just speaks to the immense pressure that is on everyone's shoulders, really, when they are at the, the top of that. Just to like really focus in on why Barcelona are worse this year, than last year. And that essentially goes to some of their transfer policy. They spent a lot of money with their their levers, their sort of um, the money they created from nowhere. Uh, and those players haven't necessarily kicked on. Rafinha, Ferran Torres, they've not... OK, they post sort of six or seven goals and assists at the time of recording each, but they're not really lighting up the team week in, week out. They weren't really able to do anything this summer um, in terms of their financial restraints. And one player they did bring in was Romeo to replace Busquets. That is not a like-for-like replacement. It is not a like-for-like replacement. (laughs) And if you look at the fundamentals of their team last year, it was often Gavi, Busquets and Frankie de Jong in midfield. It's very stable. I think the the team pretty much picked itself week in, week out last season. And you're not getting that this year. In terms of the XG against what you're mentioning, Ter had an unbelievable campaign last season. This year, he's been injured for for moments in it. And Pena, who came in, who's a replacement, conceded 15 goals in 10 games. In the, uh, in, in the games that he, he played. He had a good start, but then it got shaky. They're bringing in 17-year-olds 
into the defence. Kunde, who's meant to be, who was like their big signing at centre half, he's looked really weak. He's been pushed out to right back at certain points. They can't play Cancelo. That's someone they got it on loan. If they play Cancelo and Balde, they've got two very attacking fullbacks, and that leaves them really exposed. And you can see the mistakes like littered through mm. the side, like against Villarreal, the defeat. Some of the goals they were conceding were amateur, were so bad. And he says they need grit um, at the back of their. They've gone for very nice ball playing centre-halves and even like a Raucho has dropped off it's interesting that Inigo Martinez who came from Athletic Club a pretty sort of bullish team over the last few years a 32-year-old centre-half he's been probably their best signing this year because he's just come in and played a bit more no-nonsense football and that's kind of what they need in that centre-half role they're moving Christensen into central defensive midfield at moments because they're a bit clueless and what this all adds up to along with Pedri and Gavi being sort of injured a lot this season is that the team has kind of lost its shape it's lost its identity from last season Teams have learned how to play against them. They haven't really brought in any new personnel to refresh the ideas of what they were putting out last season. As a result, teams are playing higher in their in their area. Uh, they're conceding a lot, uh, two shots a game more last season compared to this season. Um, uh, and it, the problem with that is ultimately they're conceding more goals and it's sort of ruptures throughout the side. And when you factor in Barcelona, the pressure cooker which you're talking about, the media, when you start getting into a bad rhythm suddenly these things really do begin to sort of take hold. And that's probably why Xavi's felt, gosh, I've got to try and get out of this and save some kind of skin while I can sort of take, uh, at least give Barcelona a chance to sort of plan for the future because the pressure's been growing on and on with them this season. Even though they're, you know, they're third, it's not too bad. It's, 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 no, it's Champions like, League guaranteed. They're out, out of the Champions League group. They're definitely beating Napoli who have just sacked Walter Mazzari for their second. Yeah, it's it's just like, I mean, definitely beating the Champions League can often be a bit of solace. But yeah, I mean, it's not dreadful for Barcelona right now but I do think that we are at a fascinating tipping point where Real Madrid looked like they could go on to become a super club but Barcelona are having an identity crisis and really need to figure out what direction they take in the next five years in order to rectify the financial and sort of playing issues that they have on the field so we're going to get to all of that which is great so because I think when we look at the squads, and I was sort of thinking, do I do we go into the squads? We'll definitely go into the squads. It's just sort of when. Let's talk about uh, Xavi because he's obviously said that he's going to go. Um, he seems burnt out. And actually, in terms of, I think, the conceding of goals, I think often um, a defensive... Defending is sort of a... It's a mindset. It's an attitude. Mm-hmm. And I think I think that's a problem. I think he's jaded. And I think that that squad is is jaded as well, and we'll get to the ages of that. But the timing of of him going is interesting. So the ex Barca presidential candidate Tony, I want to say Fraser, Fraser sounds pretty good Fraser, to me, Jim. Yeah, come on, and he's a bit more conviction. Um, he said, "I told Laporta, um, and it's Juan Laporta, is it? Juan Laporta, Juan Laporta, Juan Laporta that Xavi uh, <laughs> shouldn't have done that in terms of resigning, sort of." halfway through the season. Uh, Guillaume Balaguer in his BBC article, who's been on the podcast, by the way, we do a whole podcast on Messi, which is fantastic. There's also a video that's accompanied that on the JLA channel. Um, so the reason that Laporta hired uh, Xavi was for a multiple of reasons. He was a popular choice with fans due to his legend status. It made Laporta look good, bringing him back to the club at a time where positivity was needed. It made sense financially with Barcelona not having the money to pay out another club for their manager, despite a few of the top managers being on Laporta's wish list. And finally, Ronald Koeman, his time at the club had been so poor that the bar was a bit lower. However, Laporta never really saw Xavi as his favourite candidate. 
due to Zavi's relationship with Victor Font, which was the main rival for the presidency. But with Zavi getting the job anyway, it felt like his profile and stature at the club outweighed the sway of the president, meaning that the power dynamic was strange. I'm going to pause there. The power dynamic when it comes to these two clubs, but Barcelona in particular, with someone like Laporta, like explain that to the people and and the fact that someone like Xavi had to come in right and yeah. and felt obvious to come in but actually bubbling under the surface was the possible idea that he wasn't the guy that the president wanted okay so it's a very different world that we live in barcelona in that it's like the be- the pros and cons of a democracy um, in terms of f- f- football in that these guys come in and they have to be elected because Barcelona is owned by the members. They all pay a certain fee in order to have like cheaper ticket prices and having a say in who runs the club. The problem is that creates a lot of tension behind the teams. There's a lot, uh, a lot of the scenes. Sorry, there's a lot of short-termism in terms of thinking because they've got elections coming up. They always have to try and figure out how to impress the people. I mean, Bartomeu, the big um, sort of now considered a disaster of a president, his, his problems was he he kept doubling down and buying all these players because he thought that's what the people wanted. That's what so, the people wanted. And, and so, and, in and the lead up to the election, these election campaigns, yes. they'll be going, "If you vote for me." I'll go and get this guy, right? Yeah, yeah, yeah. I mean, it's fascinating. Even like Athletic Club, there was a big thing where Bielsa like hitched his his wagon to a certain guy if they were right. going to get him and stuff like that. It's really like these elections are huge in, in mm. terms of Spanish football. And yes, so in this instance, Laporta has had to um, he's had to do a bit of democracy. He's had to sort of appease uh, uh, Victor Font, who was coming up against. And like Xavi, obviously, is a huge emblem to the Barcelona people. But that does create attention behind the scenes, knowing ultimately that the guy that employed you didn't really want you is going to be an issue at, at, at some point in the club. And he would have known that, do you think? Yeah, he would have definitely have known that. But I think at that point in time, Barcelona were in such a dire strait that, that I think they kind of came together. They, they've had to do a lot of soul searching, really, in terms of trying to get themselves up. I mean, in all honesty, if they were a normal company, if they weren't a football club, they would have been liquidated. That's how bad <laughs> the situation was um, yeah. at Barcelona. It's just because they're almost too big to fail. Uh, that they managed to like plow on, utilize through. these levers. Yeah, yeah, and, yeah. And people are willing to sort of offer up huge amounts of money as we as we discuss this in Spotify Studios. Mm-hmm. Um, <laughs> what do you think about the resignation itself? Oh yeah, who sent me to El Clasico? Thanks, guys. For that. that was absolutely fantastic, and, and long may you reign over <laughs> the new successful period in Barcelona's history. In terms of the resignation and when it happened, Daniel, how how do you feel about that when it happens in terms of I'm going to stay in the job things aren't going well but he kind of I'm, I'm probably misquoting him here but he essentially said something along the lines of I wanted to kind of release the tension by saying that I'm going to I will leave at the end of the season what do you, what do you think about that as, as, as uh, an ability to sort of forward plan and to sort of try and catch up Real Madrid in some way well I think you know, you look at the situation right now. You've mentioned Girona, they're in second. You look at Barcelona, it is not an ideal situation by any means. You've got Real Madrid absolutely smashing it at the top in terms of, you know, the players they brought in and the long-term process. What's the word that they use in Catalonia? Is it interno? Interno, it's, I've, I've read this somewhere. I can't remember if <laughs> it's here. But... <laughs> He's shaking his head. <laughs> <laughs> Maybe it's not a word, I don't know. But I'm pretty sure it is. It's, it's a word that summarises the storm that exists in Catalonia when it right. comes to the the landscape of managing and, and trying to keep the club itself on the same sort of path because there are so many different voices. I read 
that Xavi himself had become so exasperated with different lines being leaked out from mm -hmm. certain board members about criticisms of him, but he wasn't sure where they were coming from. And he's trying to put out fires in every single direction whilst also trying to manage one of the biggest clubs in the world. And I think he, ultimately, from a footballing perspective, just wanted to stop all the ambiguity and say, I'm leaving at the end of the season anyway, let's try and get back to a, a period of football where it's just trying to win games, which ultimately is what the coach is there for. But I think that is part of the problem with Barcelona is that you have to be so many different faces to so many different aspects. Mm. You know, Real Madrid and Barcelona are like two reality TV shows where the main stars are the presidents of the club. It's not necessarily always about the players itself. Obviously, when Messi was there, that's different. But in terms of the public, the, 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 vo the voices of these clubs, it's always going to be the presidents of them. They're, they're, they're like the guys... Um, What's the Real Madrid president? Florentino Perez, mm. Laporta. These are two like huge figures in the media now, everywhere. And you know, when you go on, if you go to Spain, you go on the TV. They've got Barcelona TV, Real Madrid TV. These are like prominent channels. They're mm. they very much. It's 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 so different to English football in a way that I can't really explain it. And that's what also makes it fascinating. Going back to what we were saying at the start, because I guess yeah, they're sort of they're their own island each on on an island that has just the two of them. Yeah. <laughs> that makes sense. <laughs> In terms of sort of moving it forward, so Xavi's going. Um, with him with him leaving, that then allows Laporta to get someone that he can totally. Well, will he be looking to sort of control them somewhat? <laughs> and so, with that in mind, um, it looks like it could be likely that someone like Deserbi could come in, who's going to be a bit more subservient. Um, but is it an do you consider this a bit of an impossible job for anyone? Because Xavi, the thing with him, and the reason I keep saying Xavi on Xavi, is I, my, one of my good friends has had a kid called um, Xavier. Right? <laughs> and I saw him at the weekend and I, I really wanted to call him Xavi the whole time. But he oh, went, it's cool. Xavi, Xavi. So if I say it wrong, just forgive me this one time or for the next 10 years of my career, if there is 10 years. Um, in terms of that next manager... So Xavi came in, was supposed to be the guy. You go, oh, he's pet mark two. You know, we got the title, off we go. And then it's all crumbled pretty quickly. Is the crumbling down to the overall environment of with, that engulfs Barcelona still from COVID? Yeah. Or, and, and I guess a kind of ripple effect from that. I think that is probably what it is. But but more than anything, is has he got a squad here that is capable of competing and the next manager, of competing with Real Madrid. And I guess alongside Real Madrid, if you're competing with Real Madrid, the best in the world. Yeah, well, what it really depends on what Barcelona decide they're going to be going forward. At the moment, they've thrown a lot of money at a situation to try and fix it. Rather than being sort of frugal and reigning in the spending, they've gone, no, 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 we're going to activate all these levers, we're going to buy these players, and it hasn't necessarily worked out what Barcelona do have is La Masia they do have a stunning academy Mark Guillaume who came through this year we scored, saw him score a really good goal scored a Zlatan-esque goal um, I saw on Twitter for Barcelona B this weekend they do have that resource they can dip into and we've seen the winger that's come through this season um, Yamal. Yamal he's been another exceptional find and if they can just get, get Gavi and Pedri like they do have the fundamentals there it just depends on what they decide to do going forward because 
and this is going to be difficult before they hire any managers. They need to see basically what spending allowance they're given by La Liga next season. That's going to be huge because that will then dictate their transfer policy. There's rumblings that like someone like Frankie De Jong wants to leave at this point. So should should they ultimately cash in on him as an asset? Because he's probably one of the few sellable assets at like the top level, I think, in that Barcelona side. So and and yeah, like, and they need to look at what kind of manager can get the best out of these players that are perhaps underperforming. They do have the fundamentals there. But the reality is Barcelona are going to have to rein in their expectations for a few years to try and comply with their financial measures. I cannot stress that they, the levels of debt they're in. It's, they're in a dopamine era at the moment where they've posted a profit, but that's just because of the short-term money that's like been pumped into the club. Like that's not going to be sustained forever. They can't just keep selling off their, On 25-year their, deals. Yeah, right? their, their media rights, exactly yeah. that. So they, they still have a lot of manoeuvring to do in order to become sort of a, a profitable club, in order to sort of have the transfer kitties that they were perhaps used to in the past so they just basically if they can find a manager who's up for the kind of fascinating challenge of negotiating all of these issues but I still think it's still Barcelona it's still going to be a brilliant emblem for any manager coming in but I think they're going to have to be realistic about the players they can sign I mean Laporta was just asked about whether or not he could sign Mbappe and any rumours and he was just like are you serious no stop it no well yeah so the squad is really interesting and we're jumping into Real Madrid in a sec to finish off the Barcelona squad because I think this is important because it it does feel the the reason we're kind of doing this one is the sort of extremities of where these two squads are and the ages of them and also the situation in terms of selling those players as well because when you look at the Barcelona squad you've got some really young players and some really old players as well. So Barcelona squad's just got a really strange age profile. So you've got their sort of, well, either world-class or previously world-class players, however you want to, you know, define it. Lewandowski, 35. Gundogan, 33. Lewandowski's got a belt of a goal, actually, the weekend. Mm-hmm. And Gundogan's been great um, for them this year. So, But they're, of course, at their, you know, latter portion of their careers. Whilst they've got talents, they're like uh, Yamal, 16. But then also players who are kind of young and exciting and are crucial in terms of either the ability to sell them and get some money in yes. or you have to be the dynasty in players like Gavi and, and Pedri and then players we talked about uh, sort of players at the end of their contract if you get to so I think it's 2026 you've got Araujo Pedri uh, Frankie de Jong Lamine Yamal Christensen who's how old's Christensen he's about 27, 27. 27. yeah um a lot of players there, Gavi as well, all of their contracts run out in, in 2026. So if you're going to get as much money as you need to, and again, this kind of comes back to the last podcast that we, we did, which is that to be sustainable, you have to sell. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. You have to sell, especially with final fashion play now. You can't just keep spending money like the old clubs used to do. It comes to that question, and I think we we asked this question the other day uh, with Sam, and we talked about Man United. We were say, he was saying you should sell Rashford, like you. Or, and then I put forward the idea you should sell Bruno Fernandez. He's twenty nine. He's got two years on his contract. You probably you might be able to get sixty million for, for him from somewhere. Um, but that being, again in itself is a difficult thing. About it, that's what you should do. So again, if they're trying, what's really dangerous and precarious for Barcelona here is that if they want. Yes, they want to catch up Real Madrid, mm-hmm. okay? But th- the distance between the two squads is pretty frightening. Oh, it's it's, and this is comes back to again the issue of being like the democratic club is that how can they go to the fans necessarily and say, look, we've got a very exciting young core, we've got a lot of sort of 
old aging out guys, if you give us four years, if you give us a few cycles to bring through some more young talent, then we can maybe get somewhere. But they'll, they'll be going, no, no. If, if, if Real Madrid are winning everything every year, they're going to be furious. But they have to remember, there was a time before where Barcelona weren't big. And I, I'm, I'm fascinated with Inter Milan. And I think they're a really good blueprint. That's been a good word for our, for our podcast. Worth, yeah. um, Inter Milan have recognised their financial difficulties over the last few years and what they've managed to do is flesh out an exciting core of players with experienced old heads that have come in they've already signed Zielinski on a free contract ahead of next season do you know how good that is to pick up like one of the best central midfielders on a free and they, they got Turham last year on a free they even yeah, you know, even like getting Davy Clarkson in as like a, a backup centre midfielder that's how well, that's what sustains their ability to be top of Serie A to be one of the favourites for the Champions League almost in some ways at this point they might have lost up Lesko in the Champions League <laughs> yeah, yeah, I know yeah. at this point. anyway they're, they're looking good they're final last year I think if Barcelona were pragmatic about this they would look at the fact that they can kind of do what they did under Pep and bring through an exciting young era of new players and maybe try and flesh that out with some older heads like the Gundogan signing I think that was good yeah um the, the problem is whether or not the politics of the club will get in the way of a pragmatic approach to their current situation or whether or not they'll throw more money at the wall as they've done building their new stadium and whatnot. Let me put a really difficult question to you, Daniel. Your Deco, okay? Morphed into Deco, right? Uh, and we, we need to sort of... So, uh, Tebas, who's a mate, uh, sort of head of La Liga when it comes to financial fair play, or is just head of La Liga, right? Um, have I said it wrong? You keep smirky when I say names. No, I don't. It's just... <laughs> It's just, it's just, it's just again. Like he's the head of La Liga, as you say, and we we hear about him all the time. He's like, yeah. God. We don't I quite the, like him. We never hear the Premier League about is it no, what Richard right. Arnold? I yeah, don't know. Yeah, it is. Yeah. But Tabas is such like a, a figure because he's always there talking about La Liga. So, so. he said, he said that it's going to be a tough situation this year because this is quite a f- fun. I use the word loosely. <laughs> I think is that like oh. You're gonna get your. You're gonna get given your budget, mm, right? Like like pocket money. Yeah, and he says, "Look, it's gonna be difficult, but I believe they have uh, the mechanisms in place to to get within the you know the limits that they need." Um, but he, he used the word they're gonna to have to make some unpopular decisions. Ah, there we go with elections. <laughs> yeah, maybe, but no, with players, I think as well. So you've got. Gavi here, who's out to the end of the season, currently he's 19. I really like Gavi. Um, Pedri, back in the side now again, but he's had problems with injury. Frankie de Jong, uh, Arojo, uh, Yamal, who's 16. <laughs> so let's just have those guys, right? You've got, they're all supposedly worth 90, 90, 80, 70 and 60 million for Yamal. If you're in charge, do you stick with all of them? Do you sell any of them? And if you do sell them, who would you who do you look to sell? I mean, it, it depends exactly how you want to go about it. You've said yourself, if you try and sell a long-term project to a Barcelona fan base that is so vast, you are never going to win the hearts and minds of everybody. The smart play for me is to have an unsellable group of young players that can go on and be the core of that team for another five or six years and try and maximise the profit or the actual turnover in terms of sales are the players that are reaching the end of their sale ability. I was reading earlier that the main problem that Barcelona have, or one of the main problems, they've got many, is that so many people see Barcelona as the gold standard of world football in terms of getting there as a player, that they don't want to leave. They're on these deals, they're earning a lot of money, Mm. they are playing at what they consider to be the pinnacle in terms of European football, despite the fact they're third, and they don't really want to go and play for another club in Europe. They see that as the sort of golden goose and it does 
stop Barcelona from being able to move around the pieces in the way that another club in a different European league or in a different situation could. And that in itself makes it a very difficult prospect. I mean, you've got so many high-profile players that you've mentioned, Gavi, Pedri, Yamal. They're all there to grow as a a group, but whether or not you can put the pieces around them to actually, you know, satisfy the hordes of fans that are going to be at your neck if you don't win Well dodged, Daniel, well dodged. Can you give me an answer or what? No, no, because I don't know. Well, because I think what's difficult here, right, is if you are outrageously sensible, you go Pedri and Gavi, it's sacrilege to sell them, but they are... They have had problems with injuries. Right. It and, was... and say like Reese James, right? You can't sell Reese James for what he's truly worth when he's fit all the time because it's now known that he's not fit a lot. So that makes it difficult for a Chelsea who need to bring in money because of the money they've spent. So if Barcelona have to do that, you've got those four. I think Yamal, you leave for now, right? Because it's silly. But Arojo, De Jong, Pedri or Gavi it would be a more sort of romantic idea to keep Gavi and Pedri. But if it was me and you're being cutthroat, I think the most money you'll make is Pedri. It's, it's, from, yeah. it's from those players without a doubt. What do you think, Henry? Who would you sell? Um, I think Frankie Young will go. Yeah, I think so. Like and it. I think what's interesting about De Jong is that is maybe the, sh- the shine that you were talking about maybe fading a bit, that he's looked at this project and gone, hang on, this is not the Barcelona I joined back in 2019. And De Jong, for all of his great credit, has never been like the standout player because the fans all love the younger, like, Catalonian players that are coming through or the, the academy guys, which, you know, completely fair enough. And never never doubt Barcelona's abilities to just produce someone every season. Yeah, so, that's yeah. true. Would you um, be nervous? Yeah, sorry, who would you I, say? I, I think that's such a hard question. I, think, I, I, I don't think even really sure I believe with that. Because with, you've got a 21-year-old and a 19-year-old yeah. there who could be the next guys for the next 10 years there's, or they could fall away. There's also Fatty as well. Remember, he's on loan at Brighton. I think... I think you just bite the bullet and maybe sell. Um, oh, it's I'm so gonna, hard. It's I, so hard. If you could get money for Pedri, it's difficult though with his injury record. The amount of football he played over two seasons. If you can get ninety million insane. for Pedri, probably. Mm. Someone will pay that with serious add-ons, perhaps. Yeah, add-ons. Like, look yeah, at PSG at the moment. Right? They need. He's not a superstar in in the Mbappe mould, but he is a player that they would make a splash with. They mm. need something. Do you know what? That's a good point. Is is as much as because what you've got here is you've got different kinds of midfielders and obviously a centre-back as well. I think Arojo, you could sell him to Man United for a lot of money. You could do. You absolutely could. So I think Arojo's definitely one. I think that they would... And he can go and get another centre-back. There are I know. Some... Sounds, I know it, I'm so pleased this probably won't go out on YouTube because this gets clipped up to... Uh, we get hammered for it. <laughs> but we're like, I'm not saying it's an easy decision, but that's the problem, isn't it? Hard decisions need to be made to get a squad that looks like this Real Madrid squad. Right? There are, there are ways I, that can you... Can I ask a question? Sorry. Of course, of course. Deco, is he tied to the presidential campaigns or is he there regardless? Because that, to me, would change the thought process of your transfer policy. He's tied... Uh, for me, I think he's tied to the fact that Laporta has said, you decide who the manager is. So he's so shifted he's the dist- blame. Yes, absolutely. Mm-hmm. He's yeah. gone. I'm curious because you talk about the, the transfer policy. If you've got 20 years in that role, you could have a slightly different way of approaching it. Yeah. And also in terms of responsibility for overall survival, Laporta's got some really tricky decisions to make from that because whatever decision he makes, that's one that can't, you know, that has to be on him to a point, I would imagine. You can't put that on, on Deco. Um, you're going to have to make some really tricky, hard decisions here and try and get it right. I guess what you could say is that in terms of 
trying to maybe have a similar idea of what Real Madrid have done. And what it comes back to with Real Madrid, let's move on to Real Madrid, because what's so interesting here is COVID destroyed Barcelona. But it also, the squads that they had at that time, the Neymar, um, the Neymar transfer and the use of that money as opposed to what Real Madrid have been able to do. The thing that got Barcelona in the situation that got them to a point where they had to get rid of Leo Messi was because Real Madrid never got into that situation because they had a group of players that they just kept for a decade. Yeah. And they were all great for ages. So they didn't spend that same amount of money. Now, Real Madrid did get an understanding quite quickly of when they saw what they saw was the other side of the Neymar thing not the okay there's money that we can sell and that's a cautionary tale but there is money to be made from Brazilians mm-hmm. and Real Madrid have Tifo did a really great video on it um, they saw what money can come from that and they have gone and, and started to build a sort of 2024 version of sort of the, these young Galacticos yeah yeah, and their squad is in a real, a real rude health and one ripple, a uh, huge transfer ripple from Mbappe um, is possibly, well, I want to get your thoughts on the Mbappe one, but the overall squad is, is amazing. We'll get to that. But with Mbappe coming, he's either the cherry on the icing of the cake or he's a blowtorch <laughs> that's going like, to burn the cake. We'll no. find out your answers in a sec. So could Mbappe's arrival spark a huge transfer ripple this summer? When big players move from top clubs, it uh, always filters down and affects other clubs. But this particular one is solely about Real Madrid as we'd as we'd be here all day. Sorry. If when um, Mbappe goes to Real Madrid, most people are probably thinking he'll play as a striker. There's been talk about whether he likes this or not, but he's played there this season. He's done well. However, there is a big question mark over his position because of another key arrival. And that person is Endrick. <laughs> if Endrick truly is world a world-class talent, and talent's the key word here, he's being uh, billed as, it makes sense that for Mbappe to play on the left. But then what happens to Vinicius Jr., another Brazilian? Surely he doesn't want to settle for the bench or being a rotation option. Would he end up at Paris Saint-Germain? I think the the bottom line with the Mbappe thing and the Endrick thing is I think the sort of the, the nicety of Real Madrid, the team spirit, all of that, and the like collective age of people that are hungry and excited, but I think aren't, don't have uh, egos to the level of Mbappe's. This is the sort of zenith of that. Yeah. But when Mbappe comes in, uh, and Endrick, we can talk about Endrick as well, but when Mbappe comes in, that is going to massively change the dynamic, isn't it? I think this is a really interesting time for Mbappe to be joining Real Madrid because I think it feels as if he's lost a bit of agency in terms of, because he messed around Real Madrid last year, whatever. By all accounts, they're offering him less money than PSG were willing to put up. Perez is the man at Madrid. He is the president. And this is what comes from having a stable president. You mentioned like Barcelona. Bartomeu kept giving Lionel Messi like wage rise, wage rise, wage rise, because he thought that's what the people want. Perez and Real Madrid, I think, have got Mbappe in a situation that, like, right, you've messed us around a bit. We are Real Madrid. You might be killing Mbappe, but we are Real Madrid. We have world-class stars. They got Jude Bellingham being like a mega star this year is everything they need again, because they're like, look... You're not just going to come in and be the top, top dog because we have Vinicius. Mm. We, ha- we have Bellingham. We have the best play- like young players in the world in our club right now. You will be part of that and it is a privilege for you to be part of that. And I think that's why it's, I don't know, it feels like this has almost worked out perfectly 
for Real Madrid. They've been able to sustain themselves for another campaign. They got Hossler in just to play up front. And now they can go supersonic with Mbappe at centre forward. In terms of what you're saying about Vinicius, I think um, Perez was there last time when they bought two players in the same position, what Figo and uh, David Beckham. Yeah. And he came. That was just a really ridiculous decision in many regards. I don't think he's going to make that mistake. I think, I think Vinny Jr. has enough agency. I mean, he, he should do. He's top yeah, five nice. players in the world I mean top three maybe let's say and I know people used to say, I used to say it was rubbish <laughs> but it's not true but um, uh, you know I don't think he Mbappe can just go to Vinicius and go oh do you mind if I play left wing anymore I think it's a case of if you want to come here you play centre forward and if we look at the, the two the two setups that um, Real Madrid often play it's either a four a diamond and a two or it's the 4-3-3. And in either way, either he plays in a front two with Vinny Jr. or he plays through the middle. I think if Mbappe is being realistic, he's not going to look at Vinny on his left-hand side, Rodrigo on his right-hand side and go, oh, no, I can't play centre-forward with these. I think he's going to go, that's pretty cool. Let's get it on. You know, so Yeah, I agree with you. I also think Endrick is as exciting as he is. Mm. He's not starting next year, is he? Not as far as I know. I mean, everything I've read talks about his huge potential but it is just that at the moment you know and there is a real difficulty in actually making sure that a player who has done it at that division is going to be able to adapt to the rigours of European football that isn't arrogance on anyone's part it's just you know it's a cultural thing he's coming (laughs) from Brazil to the biggest club in the world you've got all of these stars the Mbappe thing interests me because if you look at his entire career he was top dog at Monaco very, very quickly. He went to PSG. He was almost immediately top dog there. You look at the French national team. He is the figurehead. And he has played that role very, very well. He has been someone that will put the, the weight of a club on his shoulders and score the goals necessary. But at the same time, people talk about his ego. Who knows? Maybe he will actually think, well, now I haven't got a shoulder that. I can actually be part of something that is a collective entity. Of course, PSG, huge club in themselves. They've got fantastic players. But he has always been the star of that. He has been the centrepiece. And maybe he will actually thrive in that system where there are so many other stars alongside him. You know, yeah. I don't think it's a guarantee that his ego will just take over again. Yeah, I, I completely agree with you. And also on Endrick, I think if you're if you're a young Brazilian going to Real Madrid, you're looking at Rodrigo, you're looking at Vinny Junior, you're looking at the few years they had, sort of building up. They he, he's got like the best role models around him, yeah, yeah. just to accept how okay I'll be held back a little bit, a bit like Ardugula is coming in on right wing at the moment. I'll be held back a little bit, but his time will come. There's no there's no guarantees that he couldn't like supersede Rodrigo, whatever. He could play in a front two with Mbappe at some point. I mean, I think he's he's about to have the most incredible tuition. And you can't just go from Brazil into um, La Liga and just expect to be a star straight away. I know Neymar did it. I think Neymar was an exception, like a genuinely beautiful mm-hmm. exception. And wildly different kind of player yeah, as well. Like so, so different in how they play. I, I think it's going to take a minute with Endrick. I think I'm slightly nervous about him, I'll be honest. I feel like... The hype. I think it's a lot. I think it's yeah. a hell of a lot on yeah. a on a young player. And I, I, Odegaard is he still sixteen? He's not turned yeah, seventeen. He's That's incredible, kid. isn't it? Like the amount of pressure on uh, his shoulders. Yeah, and they think he's like he's doing this thing where oh, I, don't, I don't know the guy. I've seen snippets. So he's not even a guy. He's a child. But like he's obviously going to do the sort of he's seen enough of the role, role models over the years to sort of do the fake it till you make it kind of thing. And I, I like that and I understand that. But I, 
the fact that we're even talking about him is, is wild. So v- Vitor Roque has just gone to Barcelona, forty million pounds, which is at this point a huge transfer for Barcelona, and there's a hell of a lot of pressure on his shoulders because they don't really have a striker this um, this season. I mean, Lewandowski's got twelve, but beyond that, the goals aren't like flowing through that side. Like Vitor Roque is meant to be the guy that's going to eventually supersede Lewandowski. Endrick doesn't have that pressure, and I know sixty million is a lot, but at the same time, is it? It's like he's like a sensational wonder kid. He's going to Real Madrid. No one's expecting him to start. I think I remember the Odegaard. There was so much furor about him going on to trials at multiple different clubs. This was kind of just a deal that got done. Real Madrid just went out and paid mm-hmm. 60 million for him. There we go. They've seen it with Vinny Junior, seen it with Rodrigo. They know exactly what they're doing. I mean, they're pretty ruthless with their business at this point in time. So I, I, I'm, I am worried that he could just be a blip or whatever. Like uh, Rainier, the other forward they've got who went on to Borussia Dortmund, he's been a bit of a flop. But at the same, I, it almost doesn't matter because they've got such a good squad. And like, <laughs> yeah. if, and if they sign Hosselu, I think they might make that permanent. Then they've got a second striker. There's no pressure for him to be a starter. He could just play in the in the the, the cup competitions next year. Yeah, I agree. And I don't he, think you need to. And if he comes good, he's worth 100 million, and everyone's yeah. laughing. Totally, I totally agree. And and with Mbappe, I think it's it is interesting. I think because he is a superstar, we straight away put this. And I think it's a kind of a fair thing to put on him because he has been a bit um, difficult at times. <laughs> But I think the success, what's interesting is is that Real Madrid have got him for a price that they're probably okay with, although it's like, you know, it's going to be uh, a lot regardless. But it will come down to his humility, how frightening this team becomes. Because what I think might be actually a nice thing is that I don't think Bellingham gives a shit. <laughs> Do you know what I mean? Like, And I think the fact that they're similar age, all of these guys... I don't yeah, there's think a, there's a camaraderie. Yeah, I, I think this. Well, Messi. Okay, I get you're Messi, but you're a bit older now. Or Neymar, you're not. There's you know. I think the fact that they're kind of the same school year. Like, yeah, yeah. I think that's quite useful where they can actually have an honest conversation with each other and go, you know, come on. Because I think, say with him and Vinicius Junior, I look at it slightly differently, where those two can dovetail. Mm-hmm. Like and Vinicius Junior can come play a bit more more centrally well, at times. Doesn't have to be Bellingham rigid. Can go it? and get involved. Yeah, I think one full guy here, and I think the ripple effect of this will be that there'll be really like lazy bits of journalism that go Bellingham's falling off next year. But when his numbers aren't at the same level, when, when he scored twelve playing, goals, from yeah, he scored ten in fourteen yeah. instead of eighteen. Well, his, recently, he's been asking to play a bit deeper. That's why his goals since sort of Christmas has been less than perhaps that explosive period. He wants to get involved in the game time a bit more, like we see when he plays for England and he drops a bit forward and drives forward. So actually, that I mean, he's equally as good as that as he is in the number 10 slot. So I think for Bellingham, he, he'll be more than happy just to drop a bit deeper yeah, if necessary or dovetail or, or play behind the strikers. It's, it's sort of a, a prime situation for him to be in either way. Like let's, He's having an unbelievable season this year, but I don't think we should be under any illusion that it'll continue year after year after a year yeah, because that's just not actually fundamentally what he is as a player yeah I agree with you and weirdly despite all those goals it kind of weirdly feels like a bit of a waste of him at, at times but yeah, if you've I got Cruz and Modric and, and those kind of players knocking about you utilise them whilst you've got them I mean, the other rumours about Madrid's business is that they've like agreed a potential contract with Alfonso Davies and it's just about whether or not they're going to make that permanent. And you look you look at that summer, what, what, we're February now, and they've potentially secured Davies, Mbappe and Endrick for next year. You're already thinking, that's wow, that's insane. one of the best. Yeah, that's an insane, unbelievable window. And then if you look at the squads um, going forward, Carver House, 32, that's the obvious person they need to yeah, replace right at back, some yeah. point. Um, Modric and Cruz are gonna aren't getting any younger, but at the same time, Camavinga doesn't start week in week out in central midfield. They can move him in there, and the centre backs, other than um, 
Militao, uh, uh, Rudiger and Alaba, they're in their thirties, but they're not they're not old old. No. Like, they're just a couple of se- couple of signings every summer away from just being an unbelievable unit. Alaba's thirty one. I mean, he's still lightning, isn't he? Yeah. You can like you know you get a few. He's only thirty. Rudiger, you get five years out of both of them. Yeah. You want Alba, maybe. <laughs> um, yeah, I mean it's they they have really fallen on their feet. <laughs> like, well, but well, you can say that. They, they've done a very good job of, of getting these young players in at the right time and, and providing them this, this huge platform upon which to build. You know, for me, if you're... I know it sounds really clichéd and, and sort of reductive, but if you are a seven or eight-year-old boy and Revista de la Liga is on and you're watching the Galacticos, you would love to be in this team. You can talk oh, about well, Kylian yeah. Mbappe's ego or Jude Bellingham being in a situation where he has his nose put out of joint, there is no greater place to play football than for Real Madrid with these players. Mm-hmm. That's that's surely what you want to do when you first kick a ball. Mm. And when they had the Galacticos, I mean, I've watched the Beckham documentary on Netflix, he went there, he's got Zidane, he's got Figo, he, Roberto Carlos. It wasn't a case of him throwing his weight around, even though it's David Beckham. Mm. So I don't necessarily see that there will be a degree of friction because you are in... The premier yeah. place to play football. Yeah, and do you know what? Again, comes back to the last podcast we did, where it's about using your ingredients, but also I think Real Madrid have had some fortune in here. Where, as I say, you had a you had a team there that was massively successful. So why would you change it? And if you're not having to change it, then you're saving a lot of money. It buys for, you time. For, right? Yeah, for a rainy day or a pandemic. And so when that <laughs> pandemic hits, you've then you can kind of go, well, let's. Modric seems to be like. Benjamin Button so let's just stick yeah. with him for a little bit longer and now you've got as I say it's it's the new Galactico but in in the in the modern sphere like Vinicius Jr is 23 Rodrigo's 23 Bellingham's 20 Camavinga we haven't spoken about 21 Chiuameni 24 Valverde 25 it's insane. the squad is just and really good and they've <laughs> just they're playing in their brand new Bernabeu yeah. which is like the most other than maybe Spurs' stadium, probably the most state-of-the-art stadium in the world. They're going to be able to host multiple events. Like they are, they are in a position where they're going to make a serious amount of money just off the pitch with that kind of stuff, anyway. And yeah, so I think Real Madrid's situation. The, the, the big thing will be is Again, the po- though they got sorry they got so lucky with the stadium as well because during COVID, and I think there might have been one season where they didn't have the fans in there. Mm. Yeah, but yeah, they yeah. still it like worked out for them so well. And Perez, the president, is a big like construction. That's his thing. That's where he's made his billions. So right. he, he knew he knew how to you know um, get, thing, he, get and, things moving on. But yeah, it's, yeah. It's, and again, the other thing that's hurting Barcelona is not having the, the stadium. Yeah. yeah, the venue is killing them. Um, I, I, I will say the post. Ancelotti's contract runs until 2026. He is obviously, as we've seen with Real Madrid, with Zidane and Ancelotti. I'm not putting. I, I think. Ancelotti is a superior coach to Zidane in terms of his his entire catalogue and perhaps his versatility um, tactically as a manager. But it just shows it does require a special individual to be able to manage these sides. That is the, the thing. The alchemy that's... of it is is a big thing, and it, yeah, it yeah. has to be because you've got these huge players. Mm. Like, go back. I didn't think I was going to mention Sam Allardyce, but his famous quote of "If I was called Sam Allardyce, I could win titles." You can't because <laughs> players. I mean, Rafa Benitez. There's that famous story. He took over Real Madrid and he told Ronaldo what he wanted to do and he just looked at him and said, do me a favour. Yeah. Like, I'm not having it. For <laughs> yeah. and, that, and that is, you know, the, the sort of, the, the beauty of what Carlo Ancelotti does because he treats them like superstars but in a respectful way and that is a very difficult and delicate thing to actually manage year on year. Yeah, you're right. And again, the final thing with the Galacticos thing is I think what, by getting these guys so young, 
they're not 28, 29 and a bit sort of worn mm-hmm. mentally, Ooh. I think, in terms of being you can mold them. being this big, big guy. And actually, coming back to Mbappe thing, I think Mbappe's kind of drifting off into that um, Galactico uh, state of mind. Well, I think this group of players are grab him mm, and are sort of bring him back into it. No. And I think that would work really well. The way Vinicius Jr. interacts, even with like Jude Bellingham on social media, that kind of, I think even what happened to Vinicius, Vinicius last season really sort of like brought that squad together. I mean, they've got characters like Rudiger in there who just yeah. comes out with wonderful quote after wonderful quote. And let's not forget, a lot of these players in the modern era do so much stuff behind the scenes in terms of commercial um, advertising and whatnot. Like Mbappe will be, they'll have spoken to Jude Bellingham and Vinicius. They'll all know each other in a certain yeah, yeah. level. It's not going to be like a massive shock. It's not, they're not going to look at each other when they come in the changing room. Apparently, they're already talking about it. They're all very excited. Well, yeah, you could imagine, like, Camavinga and uh, Chiuameni and Mbappe, surely, surely friends already. Those guys are already friends with Bellingham and, and Valverde. And, and that's a good point as well. We talk about R- Rudiger, finished junior to a point, but certainly Bellingham, Valverde, in a different way, maybe with the energy that he shows. That's a very tenacious group. Mm. But who will have each other's backs? That that's it's such a difficult. You're thing saying to, will they or, no, they, or I think, they will? I think they will. They will yeah, you know, you mentioned the school year thing. They they feel like a very, to me, it's a very difficult thing to do. Bring Manchester United up. They have been a fractured club for a number of years now. You've got all of this money that has been thrown at that project over the last five or so years. It doesn't give you that magic ingredient of togetherness, and and to actually have that at a club of that size with the intense media scrutiny on every single game and every single decision is part of the the magic of it because they've got a squad there that are of a very similar age profile but they all seem to get on and that is a very difficult thing to actually cultivate in terms of Ancelotti are you saying uh, and a final ripple here as we get near the end of this podcast? Brazil's poor handling of their manager could make Real Madrid the best team in the world again. This is great. <laughs> so on uh, January 5th, Brazil fired Fernando Diniz and the plan was allegedly to make a uh, way for Ancelotti. However, Brazil seemingly took too long to get this decision as Carlo Ancelotti had signed a contract extension with Real Madrid five days prior. But this could potentially be a blessing, another one, for Real Madrid for the next few reasons. With Ancelotti there until 2026, it means that Real Madrid have a manager that they're relatively happy, happy with. This, of course, comes at a time where there will be a big manager scramble this summer, Liverpool-Barca, probably Bayern Munich, uh, which means that they likely won't have to face off against these clubs when the time comes for a new manager. One manager who probably won't be back in work soon <laughs> is Jurgen Klopp, <laughs> which possibly means that Real Madrid may be the only big job available when he's ready to return to management. Klopp with Mbappe, Hendrik, Rodrigo feels too good to be true, but the timeline suggests that it could happen. Would it, though? I. The only thing is, I don't think Klopp has ever walked into a team... With ready-made world stars, I think he's often brought the players on a journey with him and elevated them in that regard. Like if you look at the Dortmund side he took on, if you look even that Liverpool side was in a bit of disarray that he took on. I think it's a different world for him going in and just going. To, I mean, obviously it's Jurgen Klopp. He's one of the one of the mega stars. I, I I still think that the Madrid job is the best job out of 
Bayern Munich and Liverpool. If you think what's going to happen behind the scenes at Liverpool this year, potentially losing their, some of their big players, no sporting director. Um, is that is that correct? I think that I mean someone's so, walking away. Yeah, yeah. I yeah. think that's, that you'd imagine by the summer they'll have some sort of Bayern yeah. Munich in a bit of disarray itself. Uh, talk that like Joshua Kimmich wants to move on, etc. Like. Real Madrid is still the most like stable projects, uh, even someone like Xabi Alonso. There's no everyone's expecting him to leave this year. There's no guarantee he leaves. Like he stayed at Real Sociedad B for three years just to wait. He could have gone to München Gladbach, but he decided to wait. He's very smart. He knows what the, like the next move is to take. There's no guarantee he's just going to move this year based on a kind of an emotional hunch. The Madrid job is there and ready and waiting. In my opinion, Jurgen Klopp takes over from Julian Nagelsmann at Germany because uh, I think Nagelsmann's basically taken the job because he can coach you think he'll take it in this after the summer I wouldn't be uh, yeah I, I genuinely think Nagelsmann's not a, he's not a national well, team Klopp said he didn't want to do anything for a yeah. year but whether or not that he's actually yeah come on come on yeah yeah he said he, he wants to feel he, he said he wants to feel like a normal <laughs> person but you let can you, do I'll that let for three months <laughs> but yes Klopp at Madrid would be fascinating but again I, he, he's not done that necessarily it's not in. really his vibe no I don't really see it it's too good yeah because if you actually we're not having it Kai if you look at at Liverpool and Dortmund, he has taken them and moulded them into his own image. Going into Real Madrid, they are what they are. He's actually more of a Barcelona kind yeah, of he, underdog, he, yeah. let's take you over here. Come, yeah, yeah. And yeah, That would be the way that Klopp could get... See, that's the thing. I think whoever takes the job next for Barcelona is a massive problem because I think over the next five years, you could save in longer. It just feels like it's going to be Real Madrid who are dominate, dominating that league. Although I do think there'll be a slight... Um, regression in terms of guile at times when you don't have Cruz and Modric to get you out of trouble mm-hmm. anymore. I went to, when I went to El Clasico, Modric didn't start and and Barcelona were better. Mm-hmm. And Modric came on and it was it was wonderful because <laughs> he just literally went, "Let me solve this for you." <laughs> and, and so when he does go, you know, maybe it's not next year. And you hopefully, you know, if you're Real Madrid, you just want him, to stay, you know, you stay as long as he he wants to stay. But in terms of kind of like you say, with Dortmund and with Liverpool, you know, fallen giant or giant as the underdog, that fits Klopp quite well. So yeah. he could be the guy after the guy. It's quite a sort of um, romantic club as well. Just quickly to touch on what you said earlier about De Zerbi potentially being the next uh, Barcelona manager, like rumours that they've been talking. He does have a 10 million euro buyout clause, which is quite significant in this in the context of this conversation. <laughs> right, yeah. What do you guys think of De Zerbi potentially taking over Barcelona as stylistically? Do you know what? I, I did some more reading on him after I made a, I made a comment saying I feel like he's I got this sort of erratic vibe from him. Mm. And someone messaged me on Twitter. I can't remember who it was, but it was a Brighton fan. And they were saying, why, why do you think that? And I thought, why do I think that? <laughs> so I thought I'll go and like, sort of read up on him a little bit more. And actually, I think that's off, you know, slightly him on the touchline. And then aside from that. Not a lot, if I'm honest. Got a bit sort of um, ignorant from me. Um, but what I would say, again, coming back to the previous podcast, and if you haven't listened to that, please do, because it would just knit everything together. Um, when you talk about Hodgson and an excuse of having injuries and how, you know, that's going to hurt your team. Brighton have had a lot of injuries. Yeah, yeah, true. And, and so it's, sometimes you need a, a team that's sort of the sum of the parts. I think that is, we've seen that and we're seeing that time and again, again, come back to my team, QPR, the same team that was utterly awful has now been okay because, because of the sum of the parts. So I think deserve in terms of being able to make that little leap from the, the clientele you have in your squad to, to deal with a team like Real Madrid and all the stars that they've got, you'll have to be better than some of the parts. And so De Zerbi at Barcelona actually makes a bit more sense for me from that point of view because 
he's just sort of so forward thinking, so attacking. Mm-hmm. Um, and so I actually quite like it now. I have to kind of change my mind. I feel like it would work in the sense of what they need at that exact point. I think you have to look relatively short term with any managerial appointment at Barcelona because of the issues they're facing. Because burnout is a huge part of it. We saw Pep Guardiola decide that it was no longer for Xavi him. himself. Xavi himself. You've got two people there that are embedded deeply in the Barcelona culture and it was too much for them. So if you've got a manager in De Zerbi that's coming in, albeit you know he's had Premier League experience with Sassuolo before that, he's not going to be there for five, six years. It's impossible. But in terms of what they need as a transition and someone that can try and get the best out of the parts they have, whichever players they decide to sell, whether or not those players from the academy come through, I think what he has done with Brighton has kicked them on from the Grand Potter era, without a doubt. It was a very astute appointment and he has actually sort of revved them up compared to what, what they were actually like under Potter, which felt like, you know, all the pieces were there, but he supercharged it. Mm. Yeah. And that, in the Barcelona guys, could be quite an interesting That's dynamic. Yeah, really good point. What, your own question back to you. No, no, well, yeah, I, I think it would be interesting. I still think that maybe at this point they need to go... If you think of the last actual sort of successful Barcelona manager before Xavi, I think it was Valverde, really. He came in and played a pretty practical style sort of, um, for that side and managed to get results using kind of the ageing squad that he had at his disposal. So I I personally think that Deserbi, there would be an element of a gamble. He's sort of bounced around a few different clubs at this moment. I still think someone like um, Alguacil, the uh, Real Sociedad manager, I think that they've already said stylistically they really like him. And he, he's come out, he's had to answer questions about this. He said, out of respect, he's not going to talk about this kind of job because Javi's still in charge, which I think is, you know, so very it was a good cop yeah, out. Yeah, yeah, yeah. But I, I, I think when push comes to shove, if they can't get Brighton to agree to some kind of release cause, I think someone like Alguacil at Real Sociedad, another Basque manager who, you know, they're just churning them out like the very best in the world mm-hmm. at the moment. So I think. Uh, that could be a place to go. Rafa Marquez has come out and said that he'd take on the job. He's Barcelona B manager. I don't think that's the right decision at this moment in time. But yeah, De Zerbi, I, I like the idea of De Zerbi. I think it's quite like, it's. I think it's a recognition from Barcelona that potentially they can't just get the very, very best at this moment in time. They're not a club in the ability to attract the ultra, ultra elite and they could go to someone a bit more progressive like De Zerbi. So I can see it working out, but I, realistically, I think the smarter option would be to someone go to someone who can operate in La Liga or has operated in La Liga a bit more long term. Amazing. Guys, thanks so much for your time. Really, really do appreciate it. Um, go check out Henry and Daniel. Links to their Twitters and anything else they want to chuck my way in terms of links, we will chuck in that <laughs> description. Just go have a click. Uh, whilst you're clicking, uh, follow the podcast. Uh, keep us high in the charts. It's always lovely to see. Someone messaged me actually the other day. He went, do you know you're right by? I can't remember what he said. And I was like, yeah. And I went and looked and it made me feel good. So if you'd like to make me feel good and our team then uh, click on the buttons that matter. Thank you very, very much. We will be back next week. Uh, check out the whole catalogue. There's loads of uh, podcasts with Daniel on there. Uh, we did one earlier in the week talking about Palace and mid-table teams and what it's like to be a fan of those teams as well. So go check that out as well and have a great day. 